following message from Pastor Kit Johnson comes to you from Life Point Baptist Church in Apple Valley, California, where we pray that God's Word is a real blessing to you. You can turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 11. Romans chapter 11. And yeah, we're going to finish off uh, this chapter today. And... Uh, The book of Romans is littered with magnificent passages of Scripture. A lot of of greats in in the book of Romans. But today's passage has to be among the very best. And here we are at the end of the doctrinal section of the book. Really, there's there's a big hinge in the book of Romans that happens directly after the passage we're going to be in today as Paul moves from theology to practice. And and here, he, he wraps up the, the doctrinal section of Romans with a magnificent hymn of praise to God. He says in Romans 11.33, Oh, the depths of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments and unfathomable His ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who became His counselor? Or who has first given to Him that it might be paid back to him again. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. And we all should say amen to that wonderful passage of Scripture. One of the most most transformational moments of my life happened uh, during my freshman year of college uh, when as one of my assignments for school, we were, we were tasked with reading the book, The Knowledge of the Holy, and, and, and I opened up that book, and I read the first paragraph of the book. Atozer says, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. The history of mankind will probably show that no people has ever risen above its religion. And man's spiritual history will positively demonstrate that no religion has ever been greater than its idea of God. Worship is pure or base as the worshiper entertains high or low thoughts of God. For this reason, the gravest question before the church is always God Himself. And the most pretentious fact about any man is not what he at a given time may say or do, but what he in the deep heart conceives God to be like. And that blew me away as a 17-year-old. That the most important thing about me is not what I look like. What I say or do, how I dress, how successful I am. It's not even how spiritual I appear or, or what I do in the church. No. The most important thing about me and the most important thing about you is what you in your deep heart conceive God to be like. And the reason is simple. That your view of God shapes your spiritual passion, your worship, your service, your your view even of just yourself, how you see yourself is fundamentally in relationship to God. And it shapes all of your relationships. And so I love what John Murray says. John Murray says that the fear of God is the soul of godliness. The fear of God 
is the soul of godliness. So I want to ask you, what comes to your mind when you think about God? What, what comes to your mind? What's the first thought that pops into your head when you think about God? And, and, and then, really, even more important than that is, what do you, in the words of Tozer, in your deep heart, conceive God to be like? And the people that know you well, what would they say by your life that you conceive God to be like? You know, where, where do you turn when life gets hard? And, and how do you respond when you sin? And we could go on and on with question after question that, that really probe at, at how you see God and how that shapes everything about you. And, and that's very important, folks, because what Tozer is saying is true. That your answers to those questions are the most important thing about you. Now, I recognize that that kind of reflection is, is deeply convicting to, to, to begin to think about how I see God. But, but the truth is, is that any genuine Christian uh, resonates with what Tozer is saying. Because we love God. And we want to love Him more. And, and as well, I love what Tozer says here because it's full of hope for weary Christians. Because, because after all, the burdens of life and the, and the challenges of life are, are, are overwhelming. You know, your prospects for spiritual growth at times are, are overwhelming to you. And so, you know, sometimes you look at everything that God demands of you as a Christian and you think, how in the world am I going to do all of this? Well, Tozer gives you a simple game plan to press forward in the Christian life. You address your view of God. You think right about God. You love God the way God deserves to be loved. And a lot of that other stuff just kind of takes care of itself. So this morning, I want to expand your view of God so, so that you love Him more passionately and so that you will better fulfill the ultimate purpose for your life here on earth. Which is, that really the, the central call of this passage is, the central challenge is, is that you are to worship the Lord with all your strength. That's why you're here. That's why God puts you on earth. And that is what Paul and God are calling you to do in this passage, is to worship the Lord with all your strength. And Paul drives us to that conclusion, first by meditating on the simple reality that God is great. God is great. Now, now folks, really, I mean, we, we've been in Romans chapters 9 through 11 for quite a while. I think, we, I think we began Romans 9 back at the beginning of July. So it's been a while, and we've had a lot of interruptions, and and working through these three chapters, there's been a lot of really difficult passages of Scripture. I mean, these have been some of the hardest passages of Scripture I've ever preached. And probably some of the concepts in these three chapters have been hard to follow. But hopefully one thing has been clear through these three chapters. It's that God is awesome. God is awesome. And Paul here wants us at the end of these three very difficult chapters of Scripture to make sure that we don't miss the forest for the trees. That we don't miss that all glory goes to God. And so he calls us, first of all, at the beginning of verse 33, to praise God for His character. So, so look again at what he says. He says, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom 
and knowledge of God. Now, now I actually prefer uh, the alter- alternate reading to that that is given, given in the NASB footnote. So, so I think that the grammar and the context would both prefer reading it like this. Oh, the depth of the riches and of the knowledge and wisdom of God. All right, so, so Paul is amazed, you know, not just by the wisdom and knowledge of God, but by the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. So, so with Paul, let's first just consider the depth of the riches of God. Now, in the context of Romans 9 through 11, he is especially thinking there of God's riches of mercy. God's mercy. And I say that because Paul has been adamant at every turn in these chapters that every part of our salvation, even down to our choice, it is all the mercy of God to desperate sinners. So so look back. Let's just think about this a little bit. Uh, Chapter 9, and I'd like to read verses 15 and 16. Chapter 9, verses 15 and 16. It says there, That God says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it does not depend on the man who wills or the man who runs, but on God who has mercy. And then notice what he says in chapter 9, verses 22 to 24. And I particularly want to focus on verse 23. But verse 22 says, What if God, although willing to demonstrate His wrath and to make His power known, endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction. And he did so, why? To make known the riches of his glory upon vessels of mercy which he prepared beforehand for glory. Even us, whom he also called, not from among the Jews only, but also from among the Gentiles. Now folks, I mean, verse 23 is an amazing verse. He says, God chose me, a Gentile, as a vessel of mercy. And why did he do it? He did it to make known the riches, all right? And there's our key word from our text. He did it to make known the riches of his glory. So so I am a trophy to the grace of God. And then uh, notice finally that the three verses that immediately precede our text. Chapter 11, verses 30 through 32. And again, the context here is he's talking about Gentile and Jew salvation. And he says in Romans eleven thirty, 30, for just as you were once disobedient to God, but now have been shown mercy because of their disobedience. So these also now have been disobedient, speaking of the Jews, that because of the mercy shown to you, they also may now be shown mercy. For God has shut up all in disobedience that he may show mercy to all. So Christian, what is God saying to you fundamentally in in these passages and throughout these chapters? It's that once you were lost and desperate, you were without hope in the world, you were disobedient to God, but now you have received mercy. And and so Paul here at the end of this passage uh, invites you to ponder God's mercy and to be overwhelmed at the mercy of God to a sinner like you. He says, oh, the depth of the riches uh, of, of, the, of God. Oh, the depth of the riches of God. 
which God has mercifully poured out. So I want to ask you, are you overwhelmed by the mercy of God? The mercy of God is so simple that a five-year-old can understand it and receive Christ as Savior. But the mercy of God is also so, so complex that you can spend your lifetime studying passages like Romans 9-11 through 11 and, and coming to a deeper appreciation of just how incredible it is that God would be merciful to a sinner like you. So I want to challenge you to spend your life studying the mercy of God. And then, of course, learn to rest in the mercy of God. Now, what, what do you do when you sin? What, what's your response to your sin? When you sin, do you tie and minimize it? Pretend like you didn't actually do anything? Try and hide it from God? On the other hand, when you sin, are you overwhelmed with shame and guilt and despair? Or, or, or if you have a mature understanding of the mercy of God, do you run to God for mercy? Honest. That, that God, I blew it. I rebelled against Your will. And, and I rest in the mercy of God. You know, God's mercy frees the Christian to be brutally honest about the depths of my sin. Because I can rest in the mercy of God. I trust Him. I believe Him. So, so God's mercy it transforms how I deal with everything. So, so rest in the mercy of God and then be sure to, to give thanks for His mercy and to worship Him for His mercy. Don't ever outgrow your amazement at the mercy of God. So praise God for His mercy and then Paul proceeds to wonder at the wisdom and the knowledge of God. Oh, the depths of the wisdom and knowledge of God. And Paul does this, he, he meditates on God's wisdom and knowledge because he just spent three chapters unfolding God's eternal plan to save the Jews and the Gentiles. And so as Paul, he, he wraps up this, this long discussion as he thinks back to everything he said, he, he ponders the scope of God's plan stretching from eternity past into eternity future. The, the detail of God's plan. He, he has every part figured out. And as well, the perfection of God's plan. And as Paul thinks about all of that, he is just overwhelmed by the wisdom and knowledge of God. You know, think about the fact this morning that God doesn't miss a single detail. And God knows everything about you. Every part. But, but, but God's head is not just a, a jumbled mess of random facts. No. All of it is perfectly organized in his mind into his wise purpose. And that blows our minds, right? To think about the knowledge of God and to think about how perfectly it's put together. Now, I love David's response in Psalm 139. He says, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is too high. I cannot attain it. How precious also are your thoughts to me, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I should count them, they would outnumber the sand. So folks, God's wisdom, God's ways, God's knowledge, they overwhelm our comprehension. But of course, they also comfort our souls. I've been 
uh, reading recently John Piper's book, Providence, and he spends 750 pages, so it's a pretty good-sized book, 750 pages just going through Scripture and, and showing how God's providence, how God's wisdom governs every detail of our lives. Every detail. And it's been so encouraging, so comforting to, to take what I know in my head and to see it just shown to me on the pages of Scripture that, that God has left nothing to chance in my life. He's thought through every detail. He has a wise, good purpose in everything that He does. There's no accidents. There's no surprises. You know, God knows every burden of your heart. He understands every care. He understands every struggle, every issue. And God is able to take every detail of your life in the context of every other detail of the world, and He is able to work all things for good. That's incredible. And so we can trust His wisdom and knowledge. And then, of course, we can again worship Him for the depths of His wisdom and knowledge. So praise God. Praise God that He is full of mercy, wisdom, and knowledge. And then Paul builds off this by calling us to also praise God for His purposes. He says at the end of verse 33, how unsearchable are His judgments and unfathomable His ways. Now, now those statements look back again at everything Paul has said in Romans 9-11 through about His plan of redemption and they just celebrate that the incredible wisdom and mercy of God in his plan. Now, now I want to be clear that when he says that they are unsearchable and unfathomable, he, he doesn't mean that they are unknowable. You know, as if, as if we just look out at God's plan and it's all just a bunch of gobbledygook. Like we have no idea what's going on, no ability to comprehend what he's doing. It, it makes no sense to us at all. No, Romans 9-11 through 11 have explained in very understandable terms what God is doing in the world. But while God's plan is understandable, your frail mind and mine are never going to fully comprehend it. We, we just don't have the capacity. Now, now, now we, wish, we wish that God would tell us more, right? We'd say, well, God, if I just knew some more details, if you would just answer my questions... If I just understood what you were doing, I would trust you. But God knows that we can't. And every parent in the room understands that concept, right? Like, you have your kids and your kids start asking you questions and there's times that you know that they're just not ready to, to comprehend the, the full scope of why you make the decision that you make. And so what do you say? You say, just trust me. And God is saying the same to you here. His ways are unsearchable. That doesn't mean He doesn't have it all planned out, but, but there are times where, where you just do not have the capacity, the, the perspective to understand what He is doing. It's too complex. But, but that's okay. It's okay that we can't comprehend it because God does. So I don't have to. So I can just trust the Lord. I can just trust Him. And, and then, of course... We, we could praise God for that infinite, infinite capacity. I mean, just think again about the fact. I mean, think about every detail of God's creation. And think about the fact 
that, that God has an infinite capacity. He's able to account for an infinite load of factors. An infinite load of factors. He's able to weigh all of them accurately you know, and, and, and put a value system to them all. And he is able to organize them perfectly. When you really start to, to, comp- to think about that and try and understand that, it blows your mind. I can't do that. But God can. So, so I don't need to demand that God explain infinity to me. I can just trust Him. Again, Piper's book has been so good for my soul because he shows from the Bible that, 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 that God's purpose includes every detail. The Scriptures highlight the fact that God is, is, is in control of every birth. He's in control of every death. He's in control of every hardship and every blessing. God raises up good kings and God raises up bad kings. And none of it defies His sovereignty. He is in control of it all. Nothing is left to chance. Nothing is unplanned. It's all perfectly organized. So so you can trust God. You can trust God with whatever it is that you are wrestling through and burdened about today. So, so, so Paul here is, is praising the unsearchable, unfathomable wisdom and knowledge of God, but, but that's not the only thing about his ways that he is praising here. No, no in the context of Romans 9-11, through 11, God's ways are, are also unfathomable in the sense that God's mercy, God's mercy is unfathomable to people like us. And I say that because what he says in context, and I think a passage that is super helpful here is Isaiah 55, verses 6 through 9. And and Isaiah here is talking to to Israel in a time where they need to repent and turn to the Lord. And he says to them, he says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts, and let him return to the Lord, and he will have compassion on him and to our God, for He will abundantly pardon. So what's he saying there? He's saying God is merciful. Come to God. Repent, but come to Him. Receive Him. Now now the reality is, is that we struggle to do that. Right? Like like we think, no, 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 i got to do something. i got to do something to get Him to love me. i got to re-earn it. i got to bring a candy bar with me to get God to like me again. But what does he then go on to say? He says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are my ways, nor are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. So, so notice there that, that you know, we, we tend to quote the end of that passage as talking about the big mind that God has. But he's not actually primarily talking about how smart God is or how incredible his ways are. What he's primarily focusing on there is the fact that God is merciful in a way that we can't comprehend. I mean, we we don't like to be merciful. We get grouchy. We want to get our our piece of flesh out of people. And so when you think there's no way God would forgive, there's no way God would be kind, he says, my ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. God is merciful beyond our comprehension. So, so Christian, consider the fact that in eternity past, God purposed to make you a vessel of His mercy. He loved you long before you existed. 
He planned every detail of your life as part of His marvelous plan, not just for you, but for all of creation. So stretch your mind as best you can to comprehend as much as Scripture allows. And then see the God behind it. And folks, God's mercy is unfathomable. So, So think high thoughts of Him. Love Him. Trust Him. And most importantly, worship Him. So so verse 33 calls us to stand in awe of the greatness of God. There there is no greater truth, nothing greater you can ponder in all the world than the glory of God. And there is no greater joy you can know, no greater joy you can know, than, than to know the glory of God. And there is nothing more practical to your life, nothing more practical to your life than to see all of your life here below in in the context of the glory and majesty, wisdom and mercy of God. So so, so what comes to your mind when you think about God? What comes to your mind? God is saying, see the greatness of God. Have your eyes open more and more to who He is. Trust Him. Believe Him. So see God's greatness. And as you see God's greatness, Paul then goes on to say in verses 34 and 35 that as you see the greatness of God, you will also see in comparison that you are small. You are small. If you think you're thinking big thoughts of God and your big thoughts of God puff up yourself, then then you're thinking the wrong thoughts. When you see God as He is, you see yourself as very small. Paul goes on to say in verses 34 and 35, for who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who became his counselor? Or who has first given to him that it might be paid back to him again? So notice first of all here that you cannot instruct God. You cannot instruct God. Now now that verse, verse 34, alludes to Isaiah 40, verse 13. Isaiah 40 is one of the greatest chapters in all the Bible. And and in this chapter, among other things, Isaiah says, In verses 13 and 14, who has directed the Spirit of the Lord? Or as his counselor has informed him, with whom did he consult? Or who gave him understanding? And who taught him in the path of justice and taught him knowledge and informed him of the way of understanding? Do you ever think that you can instruct God? Now, of course, you're you're in church. You know the answer is no. I would never think that I can instruct God. But you think it all the time, right? You think, you know, God, you got this one just a little bit wrong. And and if you would just remove this burden from my life, if you would just shower me with this blessing over here, then, then everything would be so much better. God, you're just not quite getting it. If only you saw things the way I do. But God says, who do you think you are? Again, our text says, who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has become his counselor? God's mind is infinite. And it's informed with eternal perfect knowledge. And in comparison to God, you are very small. And you've been around a very short time in comparison to eternity. It's just silly 
It's silly that, that we would ever think that we have the right to instruct God. Now, for example, I, I remember as a kid getting so frustrated at times that, that my parents didn't spend money more freely. You know, I'm 10 years old and it just makes sense that we should go buy a new car or that we should go to Pizza Hut all the time. It made sense to my little eight-year-old brain. But, but you know what? I mean, now that I'm 42, I look back and I think, like, I was such a fool. It just looked so silly to me that, that I thought I had this understanding and that you know, what I thought was so clear was absolutely wrong. And I'm sure my parents thought it was silly too. I probably frustrated them at times. And, and so imagine how silly we look to God when we start trying to tell Him what He ought to do. When we start making demands. When we start correcting Him. Or start trying to fix God. We should all be humbled today by the infinite wisdom and knowledge of God. And then we should stand in awe of that wisdom and knowledge. And then we have to trust His infinite understanding. You know, it is okay. It is okay that you don't understand what God is doing in a particular situation. Because He does. And God is good. He is merciful beyond your comprehension. His purposes are wise. So you can trust Him. So, so 1 Peter 5-7 invites you to cast all your cares on Him because you know that He cares for you. So, so you cannot instruct God. And then secondly, He puts us in our place by reminding us that you cannot make demands of God. Verse 35 again says, Or who has first given to Him that it might be paid back to Him again? Now, that verse references Job 41, verse 11. And I think, hopefully, most of us in here are familiar with the story of Job. You know, Job thought he was so great that he had lived a righteous life and that God was doing him wrong. In fact, he says in the book that if I could take God to court, I would win. He thought he had a right to God's blessing. But God replies in Job 41, verse 11, Who has given to me that I should repay him. Whatever is under the whole heaven is mine. And, and that fits so perfectly with, with the emphasis on God's mercy in Romans 9-11. through 11. Because Paul has argued definitively that, that my relationship with God is pure grace. Now, I'm a sinner. I would have never come to God on my own. It, it's not amazing that, that God would send people to hell. It's amazing that God would save a sinner like me. And it's amazing that He would save a sinner like you. And, and so, and so he, he loved us. He, he loved us before we loved Him. He sought us before we ever sought Him. God's mercy is incredible. And, and so, in light of that mercy, in light of the fact that God has given so much to us and we can't give anything to Him because He owns it all. Verse 35 asks, who has first given to Him that it might be paid back to Him again? You have no room to boast. 
And you can't make any demands on God. Any at all. You are a debtor to mercy. So Christian, I want to urge you to consider your sin. Consider the judgment that you deserve. And God's incredible mercy. And be humbled. Be humbled before Christ today. Worship Him with all your heart. Give thanks to Him. And love Him. Love Him with all your heart. Maybe there's someone here today that, that needs to come to grips with that mercy for the very first time. Now, most people want to believe that, that, that they have some right to God's favor. Why, why wouldn't God want someone as great and as swell as me? Or, or if we do recognize our sin, then, then most people would think, well, well I've got to at least do something to earn His favor. I've got to at least gain or, or, or earn at least a little bit of His love. I want to feel like, like I deserve it. But God says very clearly in verse 35 that He will never be in your debt. He will never be in your debt. No one is going to stand before God someday and say, God, I deserve a place in heaven. I have a right to your favor. You can't get there on your own. But praise God that He is merciful. He sent Jesus to pay the penalty for your sin on the cross so, so that you don't have to earn a relationship with Him. And Christ bore our sins in His body. He died in our place. And you can simply receive salvation by faith. Romans chapter 10, verse 9 says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. There's no merit in that. It's all grace. And then he says a couple verses later in chapter 10, verse 13, he promises whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So you don't have to earn it. You don't don't have to do something to to get to a level where God will accept you. You don't have to meet him part way or even 10% of the way. You just call on the Lord and receive him. And so if you have never received Christ as your Savior, I would urge you to do that today. You you can sit there in your seat and you can do what Romans 10 says. You can call in the name of the Lord and be saved. If you have questions about how to do that, we'd love to speak with you, point you to what the Scriptures teach so that you can know you're right with Him. So, So in sum, verse 33 says that God is great. Verses 34 and 35 say, you are small. And therefore, verse 36 gives the central challenge of the passage, which is to give glory to God. Give glory to God. So so verse 36 says, For from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. To Him be the glory forever. Amen. So, So Paul first declares here that God is the source of all things. And so he gives us three prepositional phrases there at the beginning of the verse. And so the first one says... That, that all things are from God. So that means that God is the source. He is the creator of everything that exists. So, so think about it. I mean, everything. Everything comes from God. So, so God spoke the angelic realm into existence. And then He spoke 
the physical universe into existence as well. You know, and God even created the natural laws that, that sustain our universe. He created every capacity of mankind. And you know, we, we, we as people, we like to boast in the things that we have made, the things that we have invented or built and think that we have really accomplished something. But the truth is, is that even our greatest technologies are, are not a testament ultimately to our strength and wisdom. Because God gave us the capacity. And God gave us the tools. I think just as an example, you know, when, when God created the world, He created colors. And you know what? No human being has ever created a color that did not come from the colors God made. Like, you'd think that we're smart enough to come up with a new color, right? But we can't even do that. I mean, every color we've ever made is just a combination of the ones that God made. And we think we are so creative and we have such tremendous capacity, but there is a really hard and really low cap on us. But not God. He designed everything from nothing. And He spoke it all into existence. I mean, God didn't have any blueprints. He didn't have any inspiration, any ideas. He came up with everything exists from His own mind on His own. And then He spoke it all into existence. That's amazing. So praise God that all things are from Him. And then He goes on to say, second, that all things are through Him. All things are through Him. And that means that He sustains His creation. And all of it moves forward solely by His hand. So Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3 says that Jesus upholds all things by the word of His power. Now, just to help us appreciate that, if, if you happen to have a pen in your pocket, I want to encourage you to take it out. All right? Take out your pen. I'm serious here. All right? Take out your pen. We're going to do a little object lesson. All right, if you don't have a pen then we know that you're not taking notes and you don't love Jesus. So, no, not really. All right, I'm, that's a joke. All right. So, I want you to hold that pen in your hand. And on the count of three, I want you to command that pen to stand up. All right? Three, two, one. Stand. Maybe, maybe, you know, maybe the problem is, is that you didn't give it a strong enough command. All right, let's try it again. Three, two, one. I mean, yell, I mean, let that pen know it's supposed to stand. Three, two, one. Stand! I mean, that's silly, all right? That's silly, it's dumb. But think about the fact that you can't even make a pen stand up. And God sustains the entire universe. Jesus sustains all of it by the word of His power. That is an incredible thought to consider. And, and, and so, that's, that's power. That's capacity like we can't even comprehend. And, and then third, finally, He says that all things are to Him. All things are to Him. And that speaks of purpose. Why does the world exist? Why are you here? Why has God planned history the way that He has? Well, the answer is, is that it is all here for His glory. It is all to Him. So the highest goal and the greatest good in all the universe is the display of the majesty of God. It is all to Him. 
It's not to you. It's not to me. It is to Him. So so in a few short words, Paul summarizes the entire Christian worldview. The world is from God. The world continues through God. And it all exists to His glory. So see the glory of God all around you. You See it even in the most mundane places. You know, this week on Wednesday, I had a run-in with a beehive. And um, there was a, we had a spigot get broken, and, and we had, there was bees inside the, the box where the shutoff valve was. And so I thought, these bees are little. Now, I can just man up, and I can get down in there, and I can get that water shut off. And so I, you know, put on a hoodie, I got it all tight, and I went out there, and I'm like, I'm going to take, these bees can't do anything. And so when I flipped over that lid, I mean, they... They came at my face. They got in that hood faster than I could imagine. I could hear them buzzing in my ears and, 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 and um, what's the word? Stinging me all over my face and my, my ears, my neck. You know what I learned right away? God designed psychological warfare long before people did. <laughs> we didn't come up with that. God did. Like those bees, their psychological warfare ability is pretty incredible because they had me freaked out very quickly. You know, and so even in a, just a, a mundane, well, that wasn't very mundane, even in a circumstance like that, we, we can look at something like that and see God is amazing. That God made these bees and God gave them an incredible capacity to defend themselves. And God came up with that from scratch. I bet that the first guy that thought to have like a war chant or something probably did so because he ran into bees and thought if it works for them, it's going to work for us. <laughs> so, so see that. You know, see the glory of God all around you in, in all the things that He has made. God is amazing. And He is the source of all things. And, and because of that, God deserves all glory. He says at the end of verse 36, To Him be the glory forever. Amen. And and so, I I want to be clear here. that, That you can't make God any more glorious than a telescope makes the moon bigger. Right? So, So when I give glory to God, I'm not making God something more than He already is. But I do have the opportunity to, to, to help others see the glory of God. Now, now how do you do that? Well, first and foremost, the way that we can give glory to God is to become like Him. So let's imagine that that there was someone in your life that that never read the Bible, never had any exposure to Christian doctrine, but they just knew that you're a follower of God. How would they perceive the God of the universe by looking at your life? What would they see of His character and His glory? Show the world the glory of God by becoming holy as He is holy, righteous, just, loving, merciful, and gracious. And, And so, become like Him. Second way you can glorify Him is by giving thanks for His blessings and telling of His works. You should make it your ambition to leave every conversation with people, pointing them to the goodness of God. Just think back to your last week. How much did you talk of the goodness and greatness of God to other people? How much did you talk about His blessings? Did you even notice His blessings? 
Are you a thankful person who sees the kindness of God all around you? And then third, worship the Lord. Worship God. You know, there is no more beautiful sound in all the world than God's people singing in unity to Him. There's nothing better. So, let me challenge in particular the guys in the room. You know, that, that a lot of guys don't like to sing. You know, maybe, you know, I, I'm, not very good, I'm not very good musically, or I don't quite know the song, and I don't want to stand out. You know, but, but the truth is, is that God made you, God saved you. The Bible commands you, ascribe to the Lord glory and honor. Give thanks to Him. I mean, I sing loudly, and Pastor Tim probably hears me mess up a lot on Sunday mornings, right? Who cares? Who cares if you mess up? Sing to the Lord. Give praise to Him. Make that a passion of your soul. There's no greater thing that you can do than to praise God. It's the greatest gift that you can give anyone. Hey folks, our God is awesome. This passage says, Oh, the depth of the riches and of the wisdom and knowledge of God. So God calls you in light of who He is to worship the Lord with all your strength. There is no higher purpose for your life than to glorify God. So worship Him with all your strength. You know, there is no greater satisfaction you can have than doing what you were made to do. So worship God with all your strength. And there is no greater love that you can show to anyone than to show them the glory of their maker. So worship God with all your strength. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you that we can know you. Thank you for your mercy and wisdom and kindness. And Lord, what a blessing it is to have a relationship with you. And so God, I pray that, that in this moment, your spirit would expand our view of your glory. And God, help us to see more of who you are, to love you, and then in light of that, to see better who we are. How small we are and how far we have fallen. And oh God, I pray that every Christian in this room would live to the glory of God. That we would be amazed at who you are. And that Lord, we would live to worship you and to exalt you. And I pray for any here who do not yet know Christ as Savior, that today they would know the unfathomable mercy of God. They cry out to Jesus and be saved. Lord, give us grace this week to, to think big thoughts of you, to not let the world dominate our vision, but a clear picture of the glory and majesty of God. In Jesus' name, amen.